Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm in Springfield, joined by former State Representative Peter Breen. He is the Executive Vice President of the Thomas More Society, a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, religious liberty, and election integrity. Is that something new with the Thomas More Society, election integrity? Tell it us. Is, it is. That, that is a, a new area that uh, we started out pretty much just pro-life 25 years ago, and we have expanded to meet the needs of, of our, our movement, uh, you know, expanding into family issues, religious liberty issues, as those have really come to the fore. And, and obviously election integrity is something that, that concerns all of us. Uh, who are, you know, I mean, that, that's how we govern ourselves here in America. So we have to have firm uh, trust that our elections are being run properly. You recently testified before state lawmakers against State Senate Bill 1909, legislation that essentially aims to shut down pro-life pregnancy care centers through litigation, fines, etc. What are the legal and practical flaws to this legislation? This bill targets only those, they call them limited services pregnancy centers. And so even just in the title of the bill, or in the titling of, of that term, they say, well, you're comprehensive if you deal with abortions. You're not. You're only limited if you don't. Uh, even though uh, for us, it is a deep belief, both religiously informed and you know, reason informed, that abortion is not health care in any way, shape, or form. Uh, pregnancy is not a disease to be, uh, you know, to be cured by an abortion. And so you see just the, the bias in terms of the law. It's viewpoint discriminatory. So it's saying, well, only if pregnancy centers talk about certain things uh, that may have this effect, are they covered? Abortion clinics are specifically excluded. You know, the, the other side uh, had a, a representative that spoke for them. They said, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, you have nothing to fear. And of course, we know that, you know, that that's what you say in totalitarian regimes, not in uh, regimes based on the rule of law and reason and, and even application of the laws to everyone, no matter their views. And as you mentioned, these abortion centers are not graded on the same level of scrutiny. Absolutely. And, and in the bill, they add a section to the Deceptive Business Practices Act. Now, it, remembering, pregnancy help ministries do all of their work for free. They do not offer abortions at all. So the state has no business telling them what they can and can't say about abortion, a service they don't offer, just as a first principle. But then the bill itself went further. They have a, two pages of legislative intent where they said, well, if you're telling women that abortion could cause infertility, that's misleading. Or that there could be some connection to cancer, that's misleading. They said it would be omitting a material fact if you were to conceal what they say is true, which is they say, well, abortion is, is 14 times less deadly than childbirth. All three of these things that they say are true facts that we can no longer advocate, they're false. They're utterly false. It's not the business of the General Assembly or the state of Illinois to declare what is true or false, especially on issues of significant public importance, where frankly, we're right. Uh, and we should not be forced to, uh, to have to go to court 
in order to justify our positions on that. Well, you alluded to this, but the Illinois Attorney General and Planned Parenthood contend that uh, PRCs engage in deceptive practices and frequently offer misinformation about the safety of abortion for women. But you found those complaints have not been documented. Well, this was the other thing. So after they went through the Senate, uh, the Deputy Attorney General had testified. So we had a client uh, from the Pro-Life Action League uh, they submitted a FOIA request. said, well, let's see those complaints you keep talking about. Well, the results came back, and what became clear was the Attorney General had received no complaints under the Deceptive Business Practices Act about the operations of Pregnancy Help Ministries. And I would say something, too. Uh, this is still a bit up in the air, but the bill is drafted broadly enough to cover sidewalk counseling as part of Pregnancy Help work. Uh, and the examples used in committee were examples of sidewalk counselors. They took umbrage at the fact that our counselors may wear reflective vests. Said, well, that might confuse people. They might think you're with Planned Parenthood. Well, it's a free country and it's a public sidewalk, and frankly, I don't want to get hit by a car, so you're going to wear a reflective vest. They might have some signage. Said, oh, we don't like your signage. Well, it's on a public sidewalk. The government can't tell you what your signs can and can't say on a That's public free sidewalk. free speech. It is free speech. And so uh, this is, you know, these are some of the fundamental problems with this bill, but it is dangerous. I would say this. It's very, uh, this was, it was very crafty of the other side to do this because one of the few areas where you get an exception from free speech is you can regulate certain things. Now, you know, traditionally we might say, you know, obscenity or pornography or things like, you know, the kind of offensive sorts of things, but governments certainly can regulate deceptive practices. You know, if you go to Walmart and they say, well, we're selling you 10 rolls of paper towels for 20 bucks, and it turns out there's only eight, eight rolls in the pack, well, you know, okay. You know, the government has a perfectly good place there. Or, or you say this, this product is going to cure, you know, whatever ails you, and it turns out, no, it's just, you know, it's flavored water. Okay, fine. But this is a totally different environment. So on what legal grounds is the Thomas More Society going to be fighting State Senate Bill 1909. Well, your principal ground is going to be free speech, and it's uh, this this bill is viewpoint discriminatory, and it is content based. So we would urge, and we're going to urge strongly that that it is subject to strict scrutiny, the highest level of scrutiny, against which most regulations on speech just fail. The other side's going to say, well, no, 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 we're regulating speech about a medical procedure. You know, we're doing deceptive practices. We're protecting the consuming public from these horrible practices of the pregnancy help ministries, which, of course, they have no complaints about and really have no hard documentation of. So that, that's going to be the fight in court is really us saying, hey, they don't offer abortions. And th this was a point that was made that we, you know, I made in committee. And it's an important point that when you're in a market, you know, you've you got Walmart versus Target. When you're in a market... That's a very different place then when you've got a business and a group of people that are trying to urge folks to boycott and shut down that business. The pro-life community is not trying to get into the abortion market. We want that market abolished. We don't want anyone getting abortions at all. Uh, and so that's a very different place. Uh, and that's, that's one critical part of our argument. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not that pregnancy centers are offering abortions that aren't, you know, we're offering fake abortion pills, no. We don't want you to get an abortion at all. So there's no, there's no issue of business practices to say, you know, at all. 
Uh, so that's, that's our first argument, though, is really that First Amendment free speech side. But we also, we believe, have a free exercise argument, which, uh, you know, so that's the free exercise of religion. When you've got a bill like this, it so clearly targets those who hold religious beliefs about you know, human sexuality. We believe this now triggers free exercise clause protection. That's also strict scrutiny. A totally different analysis, but two different ways for us to, to go after this bill, uh, which is so flawed. And again, though, so dangerous, because the bill, if, if it's allowed to stand, the AG could start rifling through all of the pregnancy center manuals and their records and their you know, everything, you know, interviewing their volunteers, all to try to chill these ministries uh, that are doing a great job cutting into the business of abortion in the state of Illinois. And the other side could send in infiltrators to these pregnancy care centers. Well, you know, they, they can do that now. So, I mean, I don't want don't to, you know, say it the other way. But, you know, what's interesting is we've got roughly a little over 100 pregnancy centers in Illinois, and they couldn't come up with a single documented example of a person who had been actually deceived. They could not come up with a single documented example of someone doing a, a phone call improperly. So you're looking at going, how in the world do you guys now want to come in with a hammer against these ministries? Again, nonprofits, don't charge anyone anything, just providing free stuff to people and options and alternatives. You know, that is the question there. So it, from the First Amendment perspective, the court is going to ask, why did you need this bill? And so it does become very important from a legal perspective. It's not just a, you know, it's persuasively powerful. You know, so our, uh, you know, when, when the legislators get up and go, you didn't get any complaints and we're going to regulate it anyway, what are, you, what are you doing? But from a court perspective, it also is a powerful point uh, that shows the, uh, the First Amendment animus. There are a lot of liberal judges here in Illinois. What makes you think that this legislation can be successfully challenged through our legal system. We're appealing to principles that don't go to the core issue of where you are on abortion. And so what we've had success with, great success at Thomas More Society, is making sure that our arguments apply just as much to, say, uh, without for no better use of the term, you know, that causes on the right would be equally applicable to causes on the left. What Illinois is doing here is similar to what some conservative agricultural states are doing in regulating and passing what we call ag-gag laws. So there are some uh, measures in some of our neighboring states that also you know, are very strong on agriculture where they increase penalties on people if they're trying to document what happens in agricultural facilities. So undercover folks say, well, you know, we're not just going to hit you with trespass, now we're going to give you $5,000 plus fine, and we're going to you know, hit you with injunctions and all this other stuff on top of the typical penalties we would just charge someone for trespassing or what have you. And courts are starting to strike those down because they say, well, you need to apply the law equally no matter what folks' viewpoint is. And so I can make that argument to someone at the ACLU and say, hey, look, if you want ag-gag laws in the red states, okay, but you're fighting them really hard there. Why would we want, uh, you know, these, these abortion speech laws, you know, abortion speech codes, essentially, in the blue states? So it, it really, uh, you know, that sort of argument is where you help to bridge a divide that might be a political divide. 
And it can help too, you know, in, in our, our cases with David Daleiden, for instance, you know, undercover journalist out of California. The People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals filed an amicus brief in his favor of, of his arguments, in favor of his arguments. Really? Yes. So that's the way you win. You show folks, look, it was Thomas More, you know, who had said, you know, I, I'd give the, and paraphrasing, you know, I would give the devil the, the benefit of the laws. And so if you want this law to be applied that way in the red states, you know, okay, fine. You know, but the people for the ethical treatment of animals looked at what was happening to David Daleiden, you know, in liberal California on the abortion issue that, you know, obviously they're very, <laughs> they're very different than he is on that issue. But they said, we, we, we can't let this stand because then how are we going to do our animal rights investigations? Well, let's get an update on David Daleiden. He's the journalist who went undercover through his videotapes. He allegedly shows wrongdoing by Planned Parenthood. Where does that case stand now? Right. And, and, and so David's, I mean, David's work resulted in prosecutions. It resulted in legal changes in the states. Uh, numerous issues, you know, numerous changes in, in policy across the country. And now uh, he had been sued in some pretty vicious and it was creative, you know, heavily lawyered uh, cases and multi-million dollar judgments entered against him. Total hooey. So we are looking for the U.S. Supreme Court. And we, we knew, you know, and this is, this is a strategy. Sometimes when you have a, you know, you, you're not in a great jurisdiction and, and you, you're kind of up against it, you know, hey, we'd always had an eye from the beginning of David's cases. We said, we're probably going to have to go to the Supreme Court to get ultimate relief here. And so now we are at that phase. We're drafting petitions for certiorari, seeking to have the Supreme Court step in, take a look at the situation. You know, it's the same, the same thing that was identified by the people for the ethical treatment of animals is what we're taking to the Supreme Court, which is you cannot uh, take First Amendment journalists like this and make them responsible for the, you know, the negative public reaction to their truthful reporting, because that's what happened to David. Now, refresh my memory, was Kamala Harris the attorney general in California when the ball started rolling against David Daleiden? Yeah. I mean, the other side has viciously come after David Daleiden because they don't want anyone else to do the same thing. The, the abortion industry cannot stand up to a sustained undercover journalism, uh, you know, investigative, you know, review. They just can't. There's too much dirty stuff going on at too many places. So they're doing everything they can to stop, you know, just punish David. Kamala Harris, as the AG, started a criminal process. Javier Becerra, you know, now our Secretary of Health and Human Services, he actually initiated the charges, and those are being carried through by the current Attorney General, Rob Bonta. And so David, you know, we got about half the incidents thrown out, but now we're, we're at nine counts, nine felony counts. So David would serve years in San Quentin. He's a young man. He is a young man. But look, we're, we are now finally, we've been set for July 12th for jury trial. That'll probably get pushed back a little bit. There's some other... Uh, uh, complicating factors with getting some witnesses in and things. But by the end of this year, you will have seen David Daleiden go to criminal jury trial in San Francisco, San Francisco County, probably the worst place in the country to do a, a, a pro-life case to a jury. So we're going to do everything we can to get a fair jury for David to just, I mean, to desperately try to get a fair hearing for him in defense of these just horrible charges. The, the charges themselves it's illegal undercover taping, except in California, because he, I mean, he was a California resident and he, he had done undercover journalism, so he knew, I can't tape in private in California. 
He only taped in public locations where others were around. They could overhear the conversation. That's supposed to be the standard in California. But Kamala Harris decided to just blow right through it. Said, nope, we're, we're going to sue you anyway. We're going to prosecute you anyway. And so that's what we're facing, uh, facing out there in the Golden State. Well, our listeners really need to be in prayer about this case. Let's take a time out and continue our conversation with Peter Breen with the Thomas More Society after this. With a one-minute look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. The cases involving affirmative action and Lori Smith and 303 Creative have received the most attention from this recent Supreme Court term, but another ruling has important implications for religious liberty as well. The court ruled that U.S. Post Office employee Gerald Groff could not be forced to work on Sundays. Thanks is due to Groff and his lawyers at the First Liberty Institute. See, in the past, employers could get away with offering lip service to religious exemptions for workers because any vaguely defined undue hardship for the boss overrode the faith concerns. Now, employers must demonstrate that accommodating an employee's faith would entail a substantial increased cost before they can demand conformity. This ruling is a final blow to the now abrogated lemon test that hampered religious liberty for a half century. And it provides legal standing for challenging other impositions on liberty, such as being forced to use preferred pronoun or post rainbow flags or join pride marches. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. It's a big evening you don't want to miss. The Illinois Family Institute's Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet with best-selling author and nationally syndicated radio host Eric Metaxas. Friday, November 3rd at the Bolingbrook Golf Club. To attend, click events at IllinoisFamily.org. We're talking about religious freedom being constricted by the state. Will the church wake up and say, this is wrong? Eric Metaxas is the author of Bonhoeffer, Amazing Grace, and his latest book, Letter to the American Church, is a wake-up call for Christians to speak out and protect religious liberty. If you will speak up, things will change if we would but try. Eric Metaxas and the IFI Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet, Friday, November 3rd at the Bolingbrook Golf Club. To attend, click events at IllinoisFamily.org, IllinoisFamily.org. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. Monty Larrick here, and uh, I'm joined in Springfield by former State Representative Peter Breen with the Thomas More Society. How can folks listeners connect with the Thomas More Society and help out that work? Well, the, the website is where we start you know, all of our efforts. So it's got a lot of news. You can also donate, thomasmoresociety.org, thomasmoresociety.org. And more is with one O. Uh, and so that is a place where we've been talking about some of our latest cases uh, because we've been filing uh, just coast to coast. Uh, there are challenges to our religious liberties, challenges to our pro-life movement that have just been happening everywhere. Uh, a lot of parental rights cases have been new for us. You know, government uh, bureaucrats and others are coming down on our people, and we've got to fight back. You're a pro bono organization, so donations do help. Absolutely. And, and so what, you know, our, the way we work, lawyers are more expensive than ever. Uh, you know, every, uh, the cost of everything has gone up. Uh, but what we're able to do is bring an in-house team. So we get just dedicated lawyers who have left their private practices. They come and join us full time. Uh, so we pay them modest salaries. And you know they do great work that is really high quality, along with our group of special counsels who charge us extremely reduced rates so that we can serve the whole pro-life movement and, and religious liberty movements uh, to, to do their work. Website again? ThomasMoreSociety.org, more with one O. I want to backtrack about this legislation that goes after 
pregnancy care centers, Senate Bill 1909. What do you think the Illinois Attorney General and Planned Parenthood and pro-abortion state lawmakers were so adamant about this legislation? You would think, well, Planned Parenthood has a monetary motive because pregnancy care centers are bad for their business. What else is going on? Well, that, that is the principal point. So the legislature has, has legalized abortion you know, wholly. Uh, they've allowed uh, you know, non-physicians to do even early uh, abortions. We're going to be at a place where you can get abortion pills at your local Walgreens or CVS after a telemedicine visit. So it's going to be all be done from home. You know, and so you're sitting there going, what else could you do? Well, the pregnancy center movement has really focused because the, you know, the red states are prohibiting abortion or significantly reducing it. So the pregnancy center focus really has to come to places like Illinois, and especially sidewalk counseling ministries and then pregnancy help ministries that are near to abortion clinics. Those really are cutting into people's, into those businesses at the abortion facilities. And so they look, I think they're looking at that as the last line of defense, kind of like we do. We know that if we can get a counselor to that woman who is in need, we will save a very significant number of babies. If we can actually get her in for a limited ultrasound, show her the child, hear the heartbeat, you have huge success rates in order to help folks to kind of come to grips with the fact they're pregnant, that is a life, and the best thing to do is to continue that pregnancy to term. So that's, that's what's happening with us. And uh, I also, too, I mean, there's politics. They want to extend the abortion issue into the 2024 election. So they want to say, oh, these are fake clinics. And you're sitting there going, if you're getting an ultrasound done at an, at an Illinois Pregnancy Help Center, it's being done by a, by a licensed medical professional. There is a medical director over that clinic. It's as licensed and uh, official as a Planned Parenthood is, frankly. The, the legislators in Springfield, uh, the, the abortion-minded ones, you know, they repealed all the licensing requirements for abortion clinics in Illinois. So they're on equal footing, pregnancy centers and abortion clinics, in terms of the licensing of their medical professionals. Well, speaking of the election, there are lawmakers who are pushing for a state constitutional amendment dealing with abortion to codify it into state law. And they'd like that to be on the 2024 ballot. Obviously, they want to gin up the vote. Yeah. That's one way they could do that. But what are the ramifications should that become law in our Constitution? Well, it could have some very deleterious effects on local uh, units of government, being able to regulate where abortion clinics are located, uh, and you know some of those sorts of issues, zoning and otherwise. It, it would make it harder for us, uh, should the people of the state of Illinois decide to go in a less hard, I mean, they've, the people of the state of Illinois are not, you know, they're not hard pro-choice on abortion people. They're more moderate on that issue. But they've elected folks, due to the really extremism of one of the political parties on that, they've elected people that have a very, very 100% pro-choice on abortion position. Uh, so if we were able to get a more moderate legislature in place that could roll back some of those uh, regulations or, or the lack of regulations uh, on abortion, you might prevent that with a state constitutional amendment. And the difficulty or, or the danger really uh, for, for our side is that uh, if there's not funding and attention to folks to show people in Illinois, hey, you know, this isn't about banning abortion. It's about making abortion legal up until the moment of birth and requiring it as part of our state constitution, which is something 
folks just don't support. So it may be difficult for us to get our message out. We're not, we would have to do a lot of work to really help educate the public that, hey, you don't need a, a constitutional amendment like this. You know, abortion is legal in Illinois, and it's, it's more legal than the people of the state would like. You know, for instance, when they repealed parental notice prior to an abortion on a minor, 75% of Illinoisans supported parental notice. So the legislature is doing things that are well past where the people of Illinois support. A state constitutional amendment would, you would really enshrine the, that extremist position as against a more moderate position on that issue. Well, they're taking these actions under the belief that they're really not going to face any pushback at the ballot box. The Republicans haven't proven that they can win. Put on your former legislative hat for a second. What do Republicans need to do to better message their pro-life beliefs? Well, one thing that we're seeing is if you don't address the issue at all and you are attacked on it, the assumption of the people is the attack is true and you're scared of it. So you do need to respond. And, and you can respond appropriately. You know, you don't want to get off of your, you know, if your key message is some other issue, well, you don't want to be dragged into where the opposition wants you. You know, that's just political campaigning 101. But you do want to be able to react strongly, clearly, and, and address them. But when you do that, you also you need to show the extremism of the other side's position. Even when, you know, in politics, even when you're defending, you have to attack. And to some extent, you know, your, your best defense is a good offense in politics. And so that was a place where, in this last election cycle, you saw plenty of very pro-life Republican candidates, mostly. They got reelected, and some very easily. They didn't pull off their pro-life stand. They explained it, clarified it. They were attacked on it, but they had a good, strong defense, and then a good offense of the other side is extreme. So that is what I would say is, is the way to, to deal with uh, you know, those attacks. A couple more minutes here, uh, Mr. Breen. The status of uh, litigation involving the Illinois Right of Conscience Act, we're nearing uh, a court case. Well, and, and we've just gotten word recently that uh, that is going to go to trial later this year in Rockford, uh, in the federal court there. This was the bill that would require uh, certain health care providers to refer people to abortion providers and, and to discuss the benefits, benefits of abortion uh, in, in their medical practice, uh, which is outrageous. Um, these, these are folks who consciously choose not to be affiliated with abortion, so they should not be turned into the state's mouthpieces. I mean, this is the thing. You're compelling the speech of these healthcare professionals to go out and say something they don't believe and to start doing things that they believe would be extremely deleterious to their patients. A similar law was struck down in California by the U.S. Supreme Court. It was, and, and so that was a good thing. We've, we've had ours under injunction since 2017, which is when it went into effect. And uh, you know, just because of COVID and everything else, the case got delayed. The other factor is you see the echoes of that bill and now, you know, the law from 2017 in the current debate on this uh, Senate Bill 1909. What's your advice to these PRCs? Should they really double down on making sure their information is accurate, et cetera? Well, here's the question I have for folks. Are you doing something deceptive? Don't tell me if Kwame Raoul thinks you're doing something deceptive. Tell me, do you think you're doing something deceptive? If your answer is yes, I don't care what the law says, you should change your method. If your answer is no, then I would urge you continue your current course of action. It's almost like an admission of guilt to do otherwise. We are going to proceed strongly. 
in litigation to try to get an injunction against the law to make sure that it never goes, you know, never goes into effect, that it does not uh, in any way hamper the operations of the Pregnancy Help Ministries in Illinois. But that process could take longer, uh, you know, longer than we'd like. We're looking for immediate, you know, we're going to look for immediate relief. But, you know, our, our, our sincere hope is that that law will, uh, will be struck down by the courts, at least in relevant part. And with this Right of Conscience Act, if the court rules negatively, boy, the impact this could have. It's difficult because a health care provider that is pro-life, that person can't participate in abortion. I mean, you have a religious conviction particularly. Your religion teaches against this, teaches that this is, it's akin to murder. So how in the world are you supposed to then promote this offensive procedure to a patient that you have a relationship with, a duty to, you have a duty to those patients? I, I can't even imagine what a medical practice would be like under those circumstances. And, and maybe there'll be some way to figure out a workaround if somehow we can't succeed in court. But it would be a very dark day if we were to fail. Now, I will say this. Even if we lose in the district court, we're going up on appeal. We'll take this as high as it needs to go. Uh, so we have lawyers in court on that, on that case, uh, and I've been involved somewhat, uh, but will be more in the future. But yeah, let, let's, that's a, that could be a very, uh, I'll say this. I think if we win in the district court, that'll probably stand up and we won't have to, I mean, I don't even know if the attorney general would appeal. Maybe he would. If we are not successful in the district court, we would take it up immediately. We have to pray about this. Absolutely. All right. Well, you're a former state representative. Begs the question, do you have any political ambitions? No. No, not right now. I'm, I am extremely busy. So, I, so now I have a lot more on my plate in terms of duties across the country, really trying to help uh, marshal our forces to uh, oppose the, you know, the, the agenda uh, of those who would restrict our religious liberties and who would uh, you know, promote abortion, et cetera, you know, just coast to coast. So I'm, I'm busy as anything. Also, my little guys are now four and six, and they are very busy. Uh, so they, uh, that's, that's, I'm supposed to use that term because it's the polite term. Boys uh, will be boys. Right. Boys <laughs> will be boys, and they are all boy. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. And so we just uh, get to be with them as much as I can, and then I get to be uh, working hard in the fields, uh, you know, in the religious liberty and pro-life fields otherwise. Peter Ring, God bless you. God bless the work of the Thomas More Society. Once again, the website for Thomas More Society and how people can get involved and support your work. Yeah, ThomasMoreSociety.org. More is with one O. All right. Thank you. Peter Breen with the Thomas More Society. Thanks, folks, for tuning in. Do tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight and support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.